Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. You can be seated. Oh, we're going to have some fun this morning. Um, if you're the type that likes following an actual Bible, Philippians chapter 2, we're going to get to there in just a second. Um, as always, it's an honor to be with my friends here in Tamworth. I started this journey last year and um, would look forward to being with you at any opportunity that ever arises. I, I loved it. I loved the Shine Conference. We had some fun. And um, whether, it was, whether it was seeing the Ten Commandments as a wedding proposal or whether it was uh, seeing Jesus in the Eucharist, in the, in the communion, it was, uh, it, it, was, it, was a fun, it was a fun day. For those of you who don't know me, this is all I do. I travel around and speak. Had the incredible privilege of being mentored by a pastor who just happens to have his rabbi training as well. So my stuff comes from that bent. I also have a master's degree in clinical psychology. So I am qualified to sort your head out. So careful what you say to me. I see through all of it. Um, on your way out, as Bron said, there, my table's there. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we give 100% of that away. Uh, to the poor and the afflicted. Three orphanages in China that look after children with mental disabilities. Uh, and we have a rescue home in Cape Town that gets girls out of sex trafficking, off drugs, high school educated, and job trained so we can break the cycle of poverty in the Cape Town flats. So you could uh, pick those things up, CD, DVD, USB, uh, direct download. Uh, we have it in any format uh, you would want out there. So you could come out and uh, say hello. Uh, before we get going, um, let me stop and give you an authentic invitation back for tonight. Uh, this is only my second time here, so you wouldn't know this, but this is my practice. Um, when I come into a church, if they have a morning and evening service, I always set aside the most special message of the weekend for the Sunday evening service so I can invite everybody, okay? And um, so, so it makes sense, because there's people who just come at night. And, and so if, if I invite you to come, uh, then that makes more sense than me doing it another way. So I put aside uh, one of the most special things that I do in the world. I put it aside for tonight. It will, it will change your life. It'll change the way you look at God. Jesus will get bigger. The cross will work better. The resurrection will be central. Scriptures will get bigger, not smaller. I promise you, if you put aside an hour and a half tonight or hour and 15, whatever the whole service is, uh, if you put aside that um, tonight, I promise you to change your life. And this is how confident I am in that. If you come tonight and it doesn't change your life, I will personally, out of my own pocket, I'll refund whatever they charge you to come on Sunday night, okay? So... So whatever the ticket costs to come on Sunday night, I'll give it back to you, okay? All right, so it's risk-free. What do you got to lose, all right? So come on back tonight. Um, if history is any indication, you'll probably want to get here a little early because it's going to get packed, all right? So, so let's, uh, let's, let's come back tonight, and I've got a special thing set aside. All right, so let's look at this. This is Philippians chapter. Thank you, guys. You guys are legends. I, 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 was, I was starting to think you were going to play the whole time, which would have been like a, you know, that would be cool. I could do it with rhythm, right? All right, so this is, uh, this is Philippians chapter 2, um, but which comes just after Philippians chapter 1. So let me set this context up so that it makes more sense. Um, so there's, this guy, there's a whole history thing going on here. Um, there's a guy named Paul. He's chained to a wall. He is being tortured um, on a daily basis under the authority of a guy named Nero. Um, Nero was a particular lunatic. He had a... Uh, he's, Paul is, in fact, going to die. Um, he is... Um, uh, he is being um, tortured. He, Nero had this thing. If you got caught practicing Christianity, um, he had this uh, ritual he would do with Christians. He would take a wooden stick and he would impale them 
into their rectum with the goal of going through both holes at once. Um, if you're a particular masochist, there are artist renderings of this. And then he would then cover them in tar and use them as human torches to keep his backyard alight. All right. So if you thought your government was corrupt. Okay, so anyway, so Nero was a particular lunatic. Paul is in jail and he's going to die unless he's willing to deny Jesus being Lord and declare Caesar Lord. That Caesar worship in the first century um, was the propagation of the imperial cult. It was the way of life. It was the law. It was illegal to do what Paul was doing. And Paul's finding himself in this situation because some zealous Jews in Jerusalem turned him into the Romans, accusing him of being a Messiah figure called the Egyptian who led a secret revolt of 4,000 secret assassins into the wilderness. You can read about that in Acts 21 if you want. Now, there's this whole thing going on. So Paul knows he's going to die, and he's writing these letters back to these churches he started, trying to encourage them. Um, and he writes this letter to this group in Philippi, who at the time of writing were the only group of people that helped him financially. Out of all the churches Paul started, the church at Philippi were the, were the most generous. And it was the hardest place to build a church. Philippi was an honorary Roman colony because of their behavior in a civil war between Augustus Caesar and Cassius and Brutus and so and Mark Anthony. And so you, you got this whole thing going on that I don't have time to go into. If you're interested in a deeper talk about that, all my stuff on Philippians is out there where I go through all this history. But this I'm trying to set this up because if you understand this, Paul quickly becomes one of the most inspiring people you've ever been introduced to. Paul, Paul is like, given all that, he's like, if God started it, he'll complete it. This will turn out for my deliverance. Stand together against your enemies, for what might look like your destruction will actually be your salvation. For with God, all things are possible. This guy is inspiring, and this should be obvious. Paul died having never known if what he gave his life to worked. Right? Paul died before the Gospels were written. Paul died before Christianity was legal. Paul died having never known if what he did worked. And in Philippians chapter 2, he changes gears and he starts teaching them about how to live with each other in such a way that is compelling to the world. Because here's the thing. In the first century, you weren't allowed to tell people you were a Christian. You weren't allowed, if there would have been an internet, you, you, you weren't allowed to go on the internet and declare what Christians believed. You would die. The only way you could figure out who Christians were, were by watching how they lived long enough to be, feel safe declaring yourself a Christian as well. Like, in other words, Christianity spread its widest when you weren't allowed to announce what you believed, but you had to show the world the way you believed what you believed, and they had to figure it out that way. And I think that's just awesome. Now, so Paul is writing back to the, this group of people, and he's like, hey, if you act this way, this way, this way, and this way, that is compelling to the world. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, about creating a culture that is contagious for the world to want in on. Like, evangelism should not be us telling them something. Evangelism should be them seeing how we live and then them asking us, like, wait a minute, I want in on what you guys, who acts like that? I want in on that, Right? And Paul, and Paul uses this incredibly famous line. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And people quote that all over the world without quoting the very next verse. He then goes into the application. Here's the next sentence. Here it is. Do all things without grumbling 
or disputing. Well, let's just stop right there. This could be the shortest sermon you've ever heard in your life. How have we done with that? Today, this week, this month, when an outsider looks at the way Christians carry on, is Christianity known for being the group of people in the world that do all things without grumbling or arguing amongst themselves? Is that actually what we're known for? And and I don't think we're there yet. I think we have a long way to go. And I want to talk about that this morning, about how Christians tend to pick on the sins that aren't their sins, And they just ignore clear biblical mandates like this. To do all things without grumbling or disputing. I made a decision last February to fast for 365 days from arguing about the Bible. And I made it. I made it. I loved it. It was the best decision I ever made. An argument is any discussion where one person is starting with their conclusion. If one person is starting with a conclusion. Now if somebody's open and let's, hey, let's have a discussion. I'll talk with you for wherever, however long you want to talk. But as soon as someone starts with their conclusion, that's now an argument. And we're actually biblically forbidden from that behavior, right? To do all things without grumbling or disputing. So I have three thoughts for the Bible nerds, okay? Because if you're here and you're a Bible nerd and you know I'm sort of a Bible nerd, I've got three thoughts for you. First, I can read this in Greek, which is why I don't have a whole lot of luck with the ladies, okay? But I, could, I can actually read this in Greek. And I can tell you that the word all there is actually all. But Shane, my husband's an idiot. I know. I know. I know him. I also know that he would gladly die for the whole family if an intruder came in tonight. Let's call that even. Oh. But Shane, my wife's hard work. I know. I know her. I also know she'd stand with you if everybody else left. Let's call that even. Oh. But Shane, you know how long that waitress took to get my drink order? Yep. So you drove a motor car on a paved road to a store that prepackages food for you and you still find us something to complain about? All. So first, all means all. Second, Paul uses some real serious language after this. Watch this. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. What? Is Paul tying our blamelessness to our basic disposition and conflict? Woo! Children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, amongst whom you shine like stars in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. In other words, I'm, I know I'm fixing to die. I'd love to know that I didn't waste my life. And one way I'm going to know I didn't waste my life is that you do all things without grumbling are disputing. Now, three thoughts for the Bible nerds. First, all means all. Second, let's try that again. All means all. Let's try that one more time with some more gusto. All means all. Right. Second, Paul is using specific quotations from the Old Testament, specifically the Exodus story, to make his point. Now, if you are a Bible nerd, you'll study this later. If you're not, you'll forget about it. But 30 seconds for the Bible nerds. I just put the references up there. Next slide. So, grumbling is a reference to Exodus 16 and Numbers 14. Blameless and pure is a reference to Genesis 17. Warped and crooked generation is a quote from Deuteronomy 32. That's when Moses says, God's done all this for you, and you're still grumbling. You're no longer children of God. You are, you, you are warped and crooked generation. Um, shine like stars is a reference to Daniel 12. Run in vain is a reference to Isaiah 65. Now, 
If you're thinking, Shane, so what? It's 2019, what does that mean? Here's what, here's what Paul's doing. Paul is using the Exodus story as an example for today. And here's the Exodus story in one statement, ready? There was a group of people who did nothing to earn it, nothing to deserve it, and God reached out and saved their life and moved them from slavery to freedom. And then subsequent to that, this group of people complained about things less important than that. Does that sound like anybody you know? <laughs> Do you know any group of people that God reached out and saved their life despite them doing nothing to earn it? And then subsequent to that, they complain about things less important than that? This is a story about me. It's a story about you. And it's a story about our tendency to grumble. Essentially, Paul's saying this. Next slide. Paul's saying, don't be like the freed Israelites and grumble. You can live better than that. You can shine like stars. We, we, we talk a lot about being light in our world. We need to be light in our world. We need to be light in our world. And there's a lot of debate about what that means. And okay, but maybe we need to st- go back to the first definition of what it means to be light in the world and be known to be a group of people who do all things without grumbling or disputing. And until we master that, maybe we should, we should put our effort mastering that. So three thoughts for the Bible nerds. All means Oh, second, Paul is using the Exodus story to make his point. Third, and if you know me, you know I love words. So I have to show you the words. This is so cool. Next slide. This, this is the word translated grumble from the original language. The word is gongizmon. I love that word. Let me say it, let me, let me say it slowly. Gongizmon. It's a musical metaphor. A grumbler is a gong. Is an out-of-place symbol. It's, it is a, let me tell you what grumbling is not. Grumbling is not pointing out something that could be better, having already brainstormed four ways to make it better, and been a part of a commitment to use your resources to make it better. That's called leadership. Grumbling is when you just, it's sort of like this. This is a common uh, metaphor in Greek. Uh, in Greek, they use musical metaphors a lot. Paul used musical metaphors a lot. The idea is this. It, you could have the best singer in Tamworth standing here, next to the best bass player in Tamworth, next to the best keyboard player in Tamworth, and it doesn't matter because here's the truth. There is no such thing as a musician that is good enough to overcome a terrible drummer. No such thing, right? Right? It doesn't matter. And we've all been in church long enough to see that awkward moment where the drummer's a little bit off and everybody's like, <laughs> and there's nothing you could do except start the entire song over. That's what grumbling is. Grumbling is like a drummer who just starts banging cymbals out of beat. It's sort of like this. Your life is a song. Your church is a song. Your neighborhood is a song. Your your ministry is a song. Your business is a song. And you are meant to find your place in that song. But if you cannot find your part in the song, at least be humble enough to sit the number out. What you don't want to do is just start beating cymbals off of beat to make everybody else start their song over because of our selfishness. That's what grumbling is. The idea is, is that be a part of the song and never a gong. Be a part of the song and never ever a gong. You don't want to be the person beating cymbals off beat. So, Three thoughts for the Bible nerds. One, all means all. Second, Paul is using the Exodus story to make his point. Third, you want to be a part of the song and never a gong. Now, which leads me to this. There's an ancient rabbi parable. This is not a part of the Bible, but it's a parable told by rabbis to help us understand the Bible and the nature of grumbling. Here's how the parable goes. 
as the children of Israel were crossing the Red Sea, there were walls of water being held back on both sides. And there was one slave. And this one slave got a piece of mud stuck between his toes. And he couldn't shake the mud from between his toes. So he says to his friend, he says, mate, I've got a piece of mud stuck between me toes. He's an Australian slave. Now, and he can't do it. And the way the parable goes is that those two slaves got so focused on the one piece of mud between the toes that they lost sight of the walls of water being held back for their redemption. That, that's what grumbling is. Grumbling is when we focus on the mud and miss all the water. We miss everything else God is up to, which leads me to this. You cannot judge success on a plotted point. You have to judge success on a trajectory line. So let me give you an example, right? Let me, I'm going to ask you a question, and you can't possibly know the answer to this question, okay? If I said, let me tell you about my money. I have 500000 U.S. dollars in the bank, and I have no debt. Am I winning or am I losing? The answer is you can't possibly know because I only gave you a plotted point. What if I said, hey, let me tell you about my money. I inherited $110 million from my rich uncle, and I'm an idiot. And I'm down to my last 500000 Am I winning or am I losing? Big time. What if I started with nothing and with discipline and passion and, and perseverance, I've got to my 500000 Am I winning or am I losing? Winning. So two people can be at the exact same plotted point, and one be winning and one be losing because you don't judge success on plotted points. You judge success on the trajectory line, right? And this world is getting better and better and better. When I hear Christians, and Christians, by the way, should be the people upholding all the good things God is doing in the world instead of pointing out the one or two things not going so well in the world. We should be the ones upholding the light, upholding what God is doing in the world. Are you kidding me? When I hear Christians going, oh, Shane, can you believe how bad this world's getting? Oh, God, oh, God, can you believe how bad this world's getting? What are you talking about? Are you serious? This world is infinitely better than it's ever been. It's infinitely better than the Roman Empire that Jesus was born into. And it's because of the work of the Spirit of God in the world that it's as good as it is. Are you kidding me right now? There's never been a time better to be alive than right now. And we should be the people pointing that out. Not the people posting that the world's going nuts. Are you kidding me? Okay, you don't look convinced. Let me prove it. Life expectancy. Life expectancy of Jesus' day was 32. By 1550, it had ballooned to 37. By 1850, it was 43. 1925 was the first time in the history of the world we were living to 50. And that is only in the Western world. Global life expectancy did not cross 50 years old until 1948. That is within my father's lifetime. Now we're living to 84. Is God done redeeming long life? No. Is it better? Yes. Okay. Another example. We might be here till three. Would you rather be a woman today or 1950? Yeah, don't think too hard about that, right? Right? Would you rather be a woman today or 1950? Today, right? Right? Or 1850. Man, is God done redeeming women's rights? No. Is it better? Yes. Would you rather be black today or 1950? Or 1850? Or 1550, is God done redeeming race relations? No. Is it better? Yes. Would you rather have dental work today? 
1950. Or 1850. Today, they can numb your entire mouth with one well-placed shot of a Novocaine in, in a nerve bundle before they drill in the nerve in your teeth. Today, they numb your mouth with Novocaine. In 1850, they numbed your mouth with whiskey. Novocaine is better. Okay. Would you rather have a colonoscopy today? Or 1950. Oh, hello. Or 1850, when they just sort of had to look around. <laughs> Is God done? No. Is it better? Oh, yeah. Hey, hey, anybody want to go to the public hanging tonight for entertainment? No, why? We don't do that anymore. That was crazy. Hey, anybody want to go to the public disembowelment of the village betrayer? That used to be Friday night entertainment in the British Empire. Are you kidding me? They would chain a guy up and they would disembowel him in front of the crowd to keep people entertained. Today we have Netflix. It's better. Oh, you believe how bad this world is? What are you talking about? Hey, 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 according to the World Health Organization, in 1820, 92% of the world was living in poverty. By today's definition of poverty. Today that number is 15%. And by 2025, they're predicting for the first time in the history of the world, global poverty will be below 10%. Is God done redeeming poverty? No. Is it better than it's ever been? You better believe it is. According to Forbes magazine, the generation turning 19 today has more money before the age of 20 than the previous four generations before it combined had. <laughs> and all you got to do is talk to them. Talk to a 19-year-old. Ask them their plan. Hey, what's your plan? You know? They're like, oh, you know what I think about doing? I think about taking a year off and walking around Europe. <laughs> Who's got that kind of money? Evidently, they do. I was, I'm 43. We didn't think about doing that. My parents' generation definitely didn't. My grandparents' generation would have thought you got a passport from Walmart. They, they didn't even know about these things. Could you imagine if your great-great-grandfather came back from the dead and was living with you for three days, and here was your task. You had to prove to him the world is harder and worse than what he lived in. <laughs> Could you imagine that? Just imagine the things around your house you'd have to explain. Great, great granddad, you understand how tough we have it now. Yeah. He'd say, really? What's that? That's a car. What's that do? Takes us wherever we want to go at 110 kilometers an hour on paved roads. What? What's that? That's a tap. What's that do? Brings clean, drinkable water into our house under pressure. What? What's that? That's the other tap. What's that do? Brings the hot water in under pressure. What? What's that? That's toilet paper. <laughs> Granddad, we're going to urge you to use that. We, we saw you collecting moss earlier, and um, that's it, just a far messier way. Honestly, they, there's this great invention. They can roll pay. It's, it's, it's just great. Oh, and by the way, this is even getting better. Um, if you're interested, in Japan, they're having a problem with too much toilet paper in their sewers. Right? It was created a problem. So instead of panicking, they got innovative. And here's what they did. They invented toilet paper-free toilets. Right? Yeah, I know. I know what you're thinking. You're like, God, Shane, that's disgusting. Yuck. I know. I know. I know. Because in your imagination, you're picturing one of those French bidet things. Like the, uh-uh. No. No, no, no. 
You go to the bathroom in Japan, and you hit a button, and that thing washes your butt with a 35-horsepower Kubota engine. I promise you, you go to Japan, you can't wait to take a dump. You can't wait. You're like, oh, wow, wow. You go to the toilet in Japan, and you come back and go to the toilet in the Mercure in Tamworth, you think you're in, like, the third world or something. It's just better. It's just, it's just better. Now, are, are, there, are there a couple things not going so well in the world? Sure, this is earth. There's a couple pieces of mud. There's a, look, if you woke up this morning in Aleppo, that's not good. They didn't choose that either. Hey, if you woke up this morning as a woman under Taliban rule in Afghanistan, that's not good either. It's a piece of mud. And we shouldn't stop until we see justice brought around the world. That's true. There's a couple things, but we should, we should be the people fighting for justice in the mud, but pointing out the water. We, that's what we should be doing, right? Like, like you know, somebody, somebody asked me the other day, they were like, hey, Shane, he, they were trying to be funny. They were like, hey, Shane, if the world's getting better, <laughs> how come the divorce rate's going up, right? You missed that one. I was like, yeah, you know, okay, let's talk about that. Is the divorce rate going up? Yes, more people are getting divorced than ever. And here's what's weird. Less people are getting married than ever. So divorce rates are going up. Marriage rates are going down. That's not a good thing. That is, in fact, a piece of mud. But it's not hard to explain why. Why are divorce rates going up? It's because we're living longer. Duh. When you die at 32, till death do us part, it's more doable. Now you have to live with them to 84. That's like saying, that's like saying the world's worse because we have more skin cancer. Of course we have more skin cancer. We're living 50 years longer for our skin to do jacked up stuff. That's what happens. It's a result of better health care. This is what happens. There's a few pieces of mud, but we should be the ones pointing out the water because this world is as good as it's ever been ever. Is God done? No. Is it better? Oh, my God goodness, is it ever better? So, so the question is, is why do we grumble then? And I think if we, if, if I could do a quick talk on the psychology of grumbling, I think we could, we could get our head around this a, a little bit better. And next slide. I, I think we grumble when we forget to remember. We, we forget to remember that our nation is awesome. All of us woke up this morning in Australia a nation with motor cars, paved roads, stores that prepackage food for us, clean water in our tap, machines that do washing, other machines that do drying, world-class healthcare right down the road, and it's largely free because Australia lives with the conviction that world-class healthcare should be available to all people regardless of social economic status. That is Australia. According to the World Health Index, Australia is the third greatest country in the world for overall life expectancy, health, income per capita. You live in a top five country in the entire world. When I hear Australians complain about Australia, it's like, bro, where you gonna go? Like, if you can't make it here, bro, let me be blunt. Where you gonna go? You could be on the dole in Australia and be in the richest 8% of people in the whole world. We forget to remember. We forget to remember our life, our nation's, our life is great. Hey, there would be a couple of exceptions to this, but in general, in general in this room, think about this. 
if God never did one more thing for any of us, isn't our life pretty good? Like if God said, okay, I'm done blessing you now. No more blessings. I'm not going to curse you. I'm not going to make your life worse, but no more blessings for you. Isn't our life in general pretty good, right? Our health's a gift. Hey, let me tell you about my life. I woke up this morning and I did not have a chemotherapy appointment today. Right? Like if, if that's all you wake up with, no chemotherapy needed. Isn't your life, like, aren't we like even? Like at least? There's nothing to grumble about. This is why we get so confronted when we meet someone who's way sicker than us. And we're like, I'm complaining about what? This is why this is so confronting. Uh, our transportation. Look, motor cars, paved roads, stores that prepackage food for us. Like mo- just motor cars. Hey, every, every week of my life, I get on an airplane. Every week. Every week I'm on an airplane. You know what I find in airports? I find people willing to grumble about 20-minute flight delays. They're texting, oh, 20-minute flight delays, right? You imagine that? You imagine your great-great-grandfather seeing that? What? 20 minutes? It took me six months to get there on a boat, and I just hope we didn't all die of scurvy on the way. And you're fixing to get in the most technologically advanced piece of machinery ever invented in the history of the world for travel. It's going to put you at 39,000 feet. 900 Ks an hour. You could fly from Sydney to LA in 14 hours while digitally streaming on-demand movie content at the push of a button and somebody brings you free Coca-Cola? Are you kidding me? There's no end to our mud finding. Oh, by the way, if you're interested, Richard Branson has invented a plane that can go Sydney to Dallas in an hour. Yes, yes, I'm in, I'm in. I'm not on that first one, I can tell you that. <laughs> they got to do that about a thousand times. I'd be, t- imagine how fast you got to go. Sydney to Dallas in an hour. What would happen to your body? I want to see it first. I want to see what happens to people. Imagine that, Sydney to Dallas in an hour. You're stumbling off the aircraft, you know, like all jacked up, Right? And somebody's like, oh, my God, sir, sir, uh, sir, I don't, I don't know how to tell you, there's, what, what is, what is that around your neck? Oh, oh, that's your butt. Oh, God. Right? Like, how fast do you have to be going, right? Oh, by, by the way, um, it doesn't fly faster. It flies higher. Because the earth is round, if you fly at 96,000 feet instead of 36,000 feet, your relative ground speed is 10,680 mile an hour. You go anywhere in the world in an hour. The, the, only, the, only, the only trick is, is, is how do you come down from that height without blowing people's heads off? I, I don't know. They'll work it out, right? Our homes, like if you have an average home in Tamworth, Three beds, one and a half bath, nine foot ceilings, running water. That's like how kings used to live, right? Our medicine, are you kidding me right now? Like no, one, no one's going to die of strep throat in Australia who goes to the doctor. It, 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 they have antibiotics that, that have been around only 90 years, by the way. 100 years ago, you died of strep throat. Now, now we live quite easily, actually. Pneumonia, we can live. And they can actually, if you got it too bad, they could put the IV in and, and, and feed it straight into something. Uh, amazing. Our water. Our power, like think about it, if the electricity goes off, where do we charge our phone? That's our problem now, 
Are you kidding me? Are you getting our ability? Literacy rates in Jesus today, 3%. Today, today it's just better than that, right? Is God done? No, is it better? Yes. Next slide. Let's say it this way. We, we grumble when, when we forget to remember the story's larger. We focus on mud and miss all the water. And the trajectory of history is bigger than the 20 years we remember. It is. It is. And unless you think the 60s and 70s were that good, remember the Cuban Missile Crisis, right? The world was actually a tragedy for about 10 years there. It's crisis, right? Now, no. Are you kidding me? According to the World Health Organization, 2014 was the most peaceful year in the history of the world. It's not even close. Murder rate in Europe in 1300 was 100 murders to 100,000 people. Today it's one. It's literally 100 times more peaceful. And people are like, well, what do we do? We should be the people pointing that out. We should be the people pointing that out. Let, let, let's say it this way. Next slide. We grumble when we think we need more or compare ourselves to what others have. Here's what happens. Instead of looking in and up to get our value, we look right and left. And the problem in Australia is when we compare or compete, there's nowhere to look except for richer people, right? And then what happens is this, is you have the richest 8% of the whole world arguing and bickering and grumbling about how that 8% is divvied up. It makes us look foolish to the rest of the world. This, I don't have time to go totally into this, but this events is a belief. It's, philosophically, it's called the lie of the sacred object. Let me, um, let me explain that. Next slide. The idea that I'll have peace and contentment at some unknown point in the future, that's a lie. It says this. I don't currently have this, but if I just attain that, I would feel better. No, no you won't. Even if it's a good thing. Like, if I just lose this weight, I'll feel better about myself. No, you won't. No, 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 you won't. And, and listen, um, there's a lot of health benefits for being at your ideal weight for your size. A lot. So if you need to lose 15 kilos, please do. There's a lot of health benefits in that. But losing 15 kilos, if you need to lose 15 kilos, is a good thing. But if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. You'll just be a 15 kilo lighter version of your discontented self. It doesn't work. Or, or, or if I just meet that person. Oh, Shane, I just want to be married. I want to be married. Shane, pray for me to be married. Shane, I want to be married. Shane, I'd be happy if I just got married. Oh, I just want to be married. No you, no, you don't. What are you talking about? Listen, I think I... You married people better back me up on this. If you can't cope with the stress of being single... Right? I get to do what I want to do when I want to do. What? No. And listen, a good spouse, a good spouse is a great thing to have. It is. A good spouse is a great thing to have. Now, you marry poorly, you'll pray for a comet to come to earth to bring you sweet relief. But a good spouse is a great thing to have. But if you're not enough without them, you'll never be enough with them. And here's how I know that. You'll never hear this testimony. You'll never see a happy marriage that was forged between two miserable single people. Never. God, we hated our life, but then we got married, fixed it all. No way! Marriage doesn't solve problems. Marriage magnifies problems. Same thing is true with a raise or a house or a car. All good things. But if you're not enough without them, you'll never be enough with them. Let's say it this way. Next slide. I think we grumble when we feel that God has shorted us. Like if we don't live with a conviction... That God has been good to me. God has been good to me. 
Like, if we don't get there, nothing else really, I say, matters here. Like, why do we grumble? We forget to remember. The story's larger. We focus on mud and the water. We grumble when we compare. We grumble when we don't live with the conviction God has been good to us. Let's say it another way. Next slide. We, we grumble when we judge the future by the present. So we, the, the, the philosophical word for this is despair. Despair is the internal conviction that my tomorrow is simply a repeat of yesterday. That's what despair is. Or the, 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 the psychological word for this is to freeze the present. So to freeze the present is the internal belief that my pain I'm feeling right now will never, ever go away. And that's just not true. And listen, listen, and let's just all admit it. It's just in us to freeze the present. Like, heck, if we get a bad enough cold, right, we're thinking four days into a bad cold, we're thinking I'll never breathe again, right? We freeze the present. Or maybe heartbreak's a better example, right? Like, remember, remember your first breakup? Everybody remember your first, you, you, of course we do, right? You remember, I remember the first girl that broke up with me. Of course I do, right? And it was mutual. And don't you think anything less? We talked about it, and together we decided it wasn't working. And mutually we decided we were gonna, it was best for us to break up, right? The problem was she seemed fine, and I was all tore up about it, you know? And, and I did the thing that you do to, to get the girl to be reattracted to you, right? This will work every time. You pout and look desperate, Right? Right? Women love that, right? And so I was all pouty. And I was like, oh, God. Oh, God, I hurt so bad. This pain will never leave me. I'll never find anybody. Oh, you know, I was 14. <laughs> My dad picks me up from school, you know. I get in the car. He's like, hey, what's the matter with you? And if you've ever parented a teenager, you know what I said. What did I say? Nothing. My dad said, nothing? Really? Then tell your face that. Because here's the thing. I can't see in your heart, but I can see your face. And if your face is any indication of what's going on in your heart, then there's a problem. So if there's really no problem, that means your face is broken. So fix your flipping face. I get home, about an hour later, dad's had enough, you know. Dad comes in my room. He's like, hey, you got to tell me or not. I was like, dad, she broke up with me. It was mutual. I hurt so bad. My dad looked at me and he said, boy, are you crying over a girl? I was like, yeah, Dad, it hurts so bad, you know. He said, hang on, I'll be right back. Comes back with the smallest potted plant. I'm talking a potted plant I could easily hold like this. Little green sprig in the middle, you know. And I've always been a pretty good communicator because I could see where this was going, you know. Come on, Shane, you know, new life, you know, fresh starts. Don't despise small beginnings. New life bursting forth, right? I could see all that. Huh? My redneck father said, the lesson is this, boy. If you're going to cry over a girl, at least cry in the plant so your tears will do something. <laughs> God, you're embarrassing.
you know he was right? Three weeks later, new girl. Forget her, right? Right? Why do we grumble? We grumble when we, when we forget to remember. The story is, in fact, larger. And the trajectory of the world's getting better. Absolutely. And the data backs that up 100,000%. We, we grumble when we compare. We grumble when we don't live with the conviction God's been good to us. And we grumble when we freeze the present. I think the last one is this. Next slide. Uh, we, we grumble when we forget life's a marathon and not a sprint. This is a quote by the great Franciscan monk Richard Rohr, who has a PhD in saying profound things. He said, uh, we tend to overestimate what we can do in a year, but underestimate what we can do in 10 years. In other words, we grumble when we feel like a failure, but it wasn't failing. It was just overestimating what was possible in a year. But it's underestimating what's possible if you hold to that track for 10 years. Now, why do we grumble? Well, we grumble when we forget to remember. We focus on mud and miss the water. We compare. We don't live with the conviction God's been good to us. We freeze the present, or we forget life's a marathon, not a sprint. Which leads me to, hey, if you're the, so if you're the type of person that listens to like the first three minutes of a message, right, and then you, and you zone out, you check Facebook, you do whatever, right, and then when you feel the message coming to a close, you come back, right, if that's you, now's your time. This is your moment. And if you're thinking, oh, no, she's going to ask me in the car what that man said. And I don't have a clue. Let me make your car ride home a bit less awkward. Here's the entire message in one slide. Next slide. No grumbling. Shine like stars. <laughs> that when we create a culture that doesn't tolerate grumbling, it's in that we're light. It's in that. There was one church, I did this for it, they took me so seriously that in their leadership team, on, the, on their name tags that, that, that identify them as leaders, underneath their name, behind it, it says, we shine like stars. And you know what they told me? They told me that, that people ask them all the time, what is shining like stars? And their answer is, it is our commitment to never tolerate grumbling. It's our commitment to be positive, right? It's our commitment to do these sorts of things. Now, great sermons are not meant to be agreed with, nor disagreed with. Great sermons are meant to be wrestled with. So let's wrestle for a second. Next slide. Is shining as simple as not grumbling? <laughs> like, or, or let's say it this way. Is shining as simple as keep going? There's nothing inspiring about someone not going through anything. Those people don't inspire you. Like if I said, hey, I brought a friend of mine to give his testimony. Bill, come on up here and give your testimony. Bill, hello everybody. My name's Bill. Let me tell you about my life. It's awesome. My marriage, awesome. My children, awesome. My business is booming. And when I think about my past, I got to tell you folks, I pretty much nailed that too. We don't want to know Bill, right? Bill is not our kind of guy. The most inspiring people you know are the people who keep their head up, their shoulders back, their hands clean, their heart pure, their taste sweet in the middle of suffering. Great faith is not getting out of something. Great faith is your countenance within that thing. And that is shining. It's shining as simple as knowing we have enough right now. There's something inspiring about someone internally content with their stuff. Maybe the most obvious application is this. Next slide. Where do we need to repent from grumbling? Let's stop and give that a full 30 seconds of meditation. Have we grumbled this week? And we didn't even think about it or something. Like it's okay. I grumbled. I don't mind being vulnerable with you. I don't even mind telling you what it's about because I think you'll understand. 
I flew from Rockhampton to Brisbane, Brisbane to Sydney. I got in a car and had to drive to Parramatta to speak that night. And whoever originally thought of the road system in Sydney thought no one would ever show up. And I was grumbling about that. And let me tell you what was really happening. Here's what was really happening. I was in a car by myself, so no one was there to hear me complain. Here's the thing. I was in a motor, first of all, I got to, from Rockhampton to Sydney in four hours. Imagine your great-great-grandfather. I then was in a motor car on a paved road, driving to a place that was gonna prepare world-class food for me and my friends who celebrate each other. And I was still finding the one piece of mud, traffic. That is not shining. That's a sin. It's wrong. It's stupidity. Which leads me to this. I wonder if Paul would have had the internet, how Philippians would have been different. Like if Paul would have had YouTube, you know. So in, a, in one minute, I'm going to play a video clip for you. But I need to set the video clip up because I think if Paul would have had YouTube, he would have attached this to the book of Philippians and said, if you want to know what shining like stars is, check this out, right? Let me set this up. There's this little girl. She's two years old. She's very sick. She has a rare form of blood cancer. She is um, awaiting a bone marrow transplant. She's been in the hospital 344 consecutive days, um, which means her mother's been in the hospital 344 consecutive days. She's got tubes all in her nose. Um, it's unbelievable. She's got prednisone puff where you take too much steroid so it puffs you to get the inflammation down. Um, if, if anybody had a right to complain about their lot in life, it's this little girl or the mom. But instead of doing that, they sing you a song. This song is 53 seconds long. At the 23 second mark, the baby is gonna say something that sounds like baby garble, but it's not. So let me tell you what she says so she'll hear it. She says, this is really awesome. And the mom is showing her symbols and this must be the greatest mom on earth. I reckon if Paul would have had the internet, he would have attached this video and say, if you wanna know what shining like stars is, check this out. Let me step out the way. I'm gonna get you to stop for a second and I'm gonna then let them play you this baby shining like a star. Check this out. Let me hear it. Let me hear it. Really awesome. Yeah. Uh, uh, uh. Yeah. What was the last thing we were going to grumble about? Uh-uh. Shine like stars. Here's the thing. In 1960, that little girl had a 0% chance of survival. Zero. Today, 85%. Is God done? No. Is it better? 
Oh yeah, oh yeah. So my brothers and sisters, may you not just be people on your way to heaven when you die, ticking all the boxes of what you believe. May we be people who show the life that Jesus talked about to our world. May we make a commitment to do all things without grumbling or arguing about it. I hope I see you tonight. I promise you I got something really, really good set aside for you tonight. And until then and for the rest of it, shine like stars, everybody. Grace and peace. God bless. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.